Uh, today we're going to be starting this new series called Marvelous Agents of Faith. The uh, Bible tells us uh, about people of faith who, despite their circumstances, continued to follow God. You know, these people were not superheroes. Okay? They were not superheroes. They were just real people. They were people like us. They were real people who had faults and they had flaws. They were just like you and me. Yet, God worked through their lives. He used them in mighty ways to accomplish some incredible and awesome things. And so this series is going to teach us lessons uh, that we can learn from those folks' lives. Okay, but because I brought it up, before we go any further, I mean, have you guys noticed how our culture just seems to love the idea of superheroes? Right? I mean, have you noticed that? I mean, okay, I mean, and this isn't new, right? I mean, man, when I was a kid, I would not miss a single episode of Superman. I remember it today. Clark Kent, a mild-mannered reporter from a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. And then there was Batman and Robin. Man, I wanted to drive the Batmobile. <laughs> you know, I thought, man, that would be really, really cool. Okay, you know, I mean, and today there's just too many to count, right? I mean, there's a superhero movie coming all the time. But let's be real. In reality, there are no such thing as superheroes. They don't really exist, do they? What we can find from time to time are people who walk closely with God and who allow God to use them, though, to accomplish things, incredible things, that actually have eternal value. Have, has anybody, I mean, have you had anyone in your life who you would say had a profound effect on you? Whether you want to call them a, a, a hero or a faithful, you know, a highly faithful person, but have you had someone in your life like that? I mean, if you have, just, just call out, like, was it a father, a teacher, a coach? A, what, what kind of person have you had in your life? A pastor? A friend? Anyone else? Yeah, I mean, if, we, we, if we've been blessed if we've had someone in our life who, who gave us that faithful example that, you know, that, that was a provided leadership or direction for us. It helped sets the course of our life. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, for a lot of people, if you ask a big group, you'd probably find some might say a parent, some might say a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, a school teacher, a coach. But anyway, it would always be someone who trusted God and allowed their faith to direct their lives. And if you were blessed to have known someone like that, no doubt you'd agree that they did have a lasting impact on your life. It's... People like that, it's these marvelous agents of faith that we're going to study for the next few weeks. And we're going to begin today by looking at the life of Noah. So as we read today's scripture, let's see if we can determine how God defines that person of faith. Okay, so we're going to start today. Scripture's in Genesis 6, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 22. So if you've got that in the Bibles, you're welcome to turn to it. Uh, otherwise, it'll be on the, uh, on the wall, and I will read it to you from the NIV. So Genesis 6, verses 1 to 22. 
It says, when human beings begin to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children with them, they were heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The, hear this next verse. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe, wipe from the face of the earth uh, the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you were to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife and your son's wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You're to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. Okay, those first few verses that we read, the first uh, seven, I think, uh, describe for us the situation going on in the world. Um, what it really is down to is there had been about, I think, ten generations from Noah, uh, from Adam and Eve to Noah. And in those ten generations, everything had got, gone from good to really bad. Okay? Um, I mean, when sin entered the world with Adam and Eve, it didn't just creep in, it came in with a flood. Okay, it just came in with a bang. And the, the human race had become profoundly wicked. If you recall, we read in that chapter in verses 5 and 6, it said the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. In fact, God's re regret was so great that he decided to wipe it out. 
not only humans, but the animals and the birds, everything. Verse 7, he said, I regret that I made them. And if you just think about that for a second, that's an awfully strong statement for God. I regret that I made them. Fortunately for you and me, that's not the end of the account. Because in the next verse, in verse 8, it says, but. How far are you going? I don't know you, but I'm really thankful that throughout Scripture, the word but is used a lot. Okay? Now, do you know what I mean? Because, because it's the Lord was regretting that he made human beings. But. But. He says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That, that one word and that one guy is why any of us are here today. But one man found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9 explains that Noah was a blameless man. Now here's another really important thing for you and me. Because you think about nobody was faithful. The world had become corrupt. God's going to destroy it, but, okay, Noah found favor in his eyes, and it says he was blameless. The good news for you and me is that blameless does not mean perfect. Blameless does not mean perfect. In fact, the word literally means uncontaminated. Uncontaminated. Noah was a human, and he was not perfect, but he had not become contaminated by the wickedness of the day. No doubt Noah had his own weaknesses and faults, but he walked with God. Noah was 500 years old when his sons were born. He was old enough to be a parent. <laughs> I, think, I think he was old enough. We should all <laughs> be that mature when we raise our kids, right? But he was 500 years, okay? And so, I mean, he, he had already lived a long time. He had established himself financially. He probably, no doubt, held position in his community. Yet, when God told him to stop all of his other activities, okay, and focus his efforts on building an ark, without hesitation, Noah did it. Now, I want you to remember one other thing, okay? At the time Noah was building the ark, it had never rained on earth. No one had ever seen an ark. No one had seen rain, much less a flood. So with that in mind, it's pretty easy to imagine that there might have been a lot of cruel and sarcastic comments lobbed at Noah for the 100, I think in 10 or 20 years, it took him to build the ark. Noah, this wasn't a weekend project. This, it took him a, at least 100, maybe 120 years, to, if I forget the dates of things, but right in there, to build the ark. And I also want you to remember that he couldn't go to the local lumber yard and order up what he needed. It was built out of wood. They had to cut down trees. They had to, you know, peel off the bark. They had to shape it into, 
you know, beams and boards by hand. By hand. Okay, this was not a simple, quick thing. This took over 100 years. So can, can you just pick, try to put yourself in the, in a moment, for a moment in this space where God has told you to do something that nothing, no one has ever seen anything like what God has told you to do. Okay? It's not easy to do. It's hard work. And you're called to stay at it. You can imagine that maybe he had to turn down a lot of social invitations because he was busy. There were a lot of places he couldn't go. There were a lot of vacations he couldn't take because God had told him what to do and he felt called to stay with it. But maybe along the way, do you think maybe it was hard on his family? And do you think maybe his neighbors probably thought he was foolish? I mean, really, he's doing something that looks, well, first of all, they don't know what it is because nobody's ever seen a ship or a boat, okay? So they see this thing going on, and, I mean, he really, he must have looked foolish to them. He must have looked like a guy out of his mind. No matter the pressure, Noah remained focused on his task because Noah, it tells us in Scripture, had been divinely warned about what God intended to do, but he also had been fully instructed by God regarding how he was to deal with it. On top of that, it tells us in Scripture that Noah was a preacher. Okay? In 2 Peter, verse, uh, two, uh, 2 Peter 2, verse 5, it tells in the middle of the verse, it says, if he did not spare the ancient world, to God, when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. When Noah apparently wasn't working on the ark, he wasn't playing golf, he was preaching. He was out telling all who would listen about the coming judgment of God and that they had a need to put aside their sinful lifestyles and get their lives brought into alignment with God's plan for them, but sadly, Scripture tells us that no one other than his family listened. No one else listened. However, no matter the difficulties or the disappointments or the setbacks, verse 22 confirmed that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Have you ever considered this also? Noah was not a shipbuilder. By the way, that career didn't exist at that point in time because there were no ships. I mean, we, you know, we, don't, we don't know. But, he, but here's what we do know. Noah was not a shipbuilder by trade. Okay? In fact, that occupation, I don't think it existed, but, it, but think about this. In the same way, many years later, God called Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. Nehemiah wasn't experienced in masonry or construction techniques. He was the farthest thing from it. He was a cupbearer for the king. Here's the thing. Time and time throughout Scripture, God does not necessarily call on the one who the world would think was the right fit. He doesn't call on the one who maybe has the most skill or talent or social standing 
or the resources to accomplish the task that God has for them. Rather, he chooses the one who walks with him daily. The one who hears his voice and follows his lead. Look at King David. King David was not raised and trained to be a king. Okay? You know, the, the UK has a new king right now. And whatever you feel about the monarchy or whatever, the new king had been being trained for seven, the last 73 years of his life to one day be king. I mean, all the preparation, just think about it. And I don't really mean this as a joke. If all of a sudden they'd called me up and said, hey, we need a king, are you available? You know, I mean, I could, well, I mean, I know it's silly, but you know, I mean, you know, and, and you could say, yeah, you know, you know, you're a good enough guy. You know, you could probably fill the job for us. But think of all the things you don't know. All the, all the, all the responsibilities, all the, 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 the organ, you know, it's not just a show up and, you know, do it. You, you need to know some things to do it well, to fill the job. David had not been raised to be king, to replace Saul. But, but what David was, was he was, because he was a shepherd boy. We all know that, okay? But what was really important to God was he was a worshiper. And he knew the voice of God. And when he heard the voice of God, he followed it. And you know, if we know the voice of God, and when he tells us what to do, and we will follow it, think of what we could accomplish. But here's the thing. With those examples in mind, that also means that God might call on you or me to take on an assignment that can only be accomplished by totally trusting and obeying God. And I mean right down to the details. Since from the world's perspective, you and I might not look like the best candidate. Okay? Just let's be practical for a second. What is something, what would be something that would be difficult for you, but that you that it would be conceivable God could call on you to do? Any ideas? What what might God call on you to do? Maybe go across the hall, tell somebody about the love of Jesus. Maybe lead a Bible study to friends or neighbors. He might call on you to pray for someone to be healed. Think he might call on you to do something difficult like forgive somebody that's hurt you? Look, some of the things God calls on us to do aren't building arcs. They're a lot harder than that. He wants us to forgive people. Sometimes he wants us to reach out and just show love. Sometimes that's really hard to do with the people he may point you to because they may not seem very loving and they may not even love you back. But the difference is not are you qualified, it's are you willing to allow. See what I mean? That, that you, this, isn't, this isn't, oh, I can't go tell somebody you know, or, or show somebody love because they haven't done anything. No, it's just God tells you to go do it. I mean, Noah could have come up with a thousand excuses for why he shouldn't build that ark. Right? I mean, if he cared about what people thought of him, but also, where's the water? Where's the rain? I mean, 
remember, he built that thing, you know, it's well underway and it's 50 years into the project and it still hadn't rained and he's still building. And I mean, it, it would be really easy to give up. But God selects these people, these, these agents of faith, as the title is, okay, because of their obedience and because of their, their, their tenacity to remain faithful even in the face of criticism. Okay? So, let's, based on these things we've seen, what we've learned so far, let's see what we can learn from Noah that would help us to be ready to respond to that call of God. Okay? So that we are that person of faith that he can use. So the first thing we need to do in order to be that person is we need, like Noah, to walk with God daily. Got to walk with God daily. You know, it's not that Noah literally... When, when the Bible says he walked with God, okay, now that doesn't literally mean him and God, you know, got together at 2 o'clock every afternoon and walked around the lake, okay? I mean, that would be cool. But, but when the Bible speaks of walking with someone, it really is referring to lifestyle. He, he, he lived his life in alignment with God. However, I mean, really, the idea of taking a walk with someone is actually a great metaphor, for walking with God, because you think about it, if you take a walk with someone, uh, usually you're walking beside them, you're walking close, proximity. Uh, you talk, you laugh, you listen, you share thoughts and dreams, kind of like talking to God. And then also you listen and see what they say back. Uh, and even as you're doing all these things, you're experiencing the beauty of what's around you. So, I mean, daily walking with God is like that. Every day, you and I in our own lives, we can be in God's word. We can read his word. We can hear his voice. We can pray. We can, we can meditate on it. Uh, it's, it's, we can walk with God daily. And then we also part of that remembering is that we need to take that extra moment to listen to see what God may say back to us. So seeing what he has to say. Noah enjoyed this kind of constant relationship with God. He devoted himself to knowing God and to sharing his heart with God and hearing God's voice. And it was this devotion, this daily walk with God, that gave Noah the power to be different. And he needed power to be different. And to be able to live differently than the people who were around him. People said, I mean, but have you ever noticed that if you hang out with a certain group of people, you start to become like them? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you know, some of the kids cussed. And, and my mom said, don't hang out with them because you'll start to cuss. And that would have probably been true. I mean, it's real simple. You, it, you will hang, if you hang out with a certain type of person, you will eventually become more like that. And that's even scriptural. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. Okay? The more time you spend with God in prayer, in Bible study, and in worship, fellowshipping even together like we do right here on Sunday mornings, okay? the more you will find that your thoughts are becoming like his thoughts, your words becoming like his, and your life being lived more fully in alignment with his will for you. No one has to tell you to do it. You just want to do it because you're, you're becoming more like 
who you're hanging out with. So that first step in living like an agent of faith, like Noah, is that daily walk with God, walking with him daily. The second thing is to trust God unconditionally. Unconditionally. Noah spent about 100 years building the ark. The ark, it, it, I, I trans, I, you heard the, the, the dimensions that were in Scripture were cubits. I don't know about you. I don't work in cubits very often. Okay, so let me give it to you in, in, in numbers you'll, you'll relate to. The ark was to be 450 feet long. A football field is 300 feet. So this is 450. Okay, so that's like a football field and a half. Okay, this is long. Okay, it was to be 75 feet wide, and it was to be 45 feet tall. It was supposed to have three decks, low, middle, and high, living quarters for the family, stalls for the animals, storage bins for food, I mean, this was a massive, complex, huge undertaking. Here's a kind of an interesting thing. From, what, from historical records that, that exist, I mean, so, you know, okay, there are no historical records that would say that a, a boat, a ship of this size, was ever constructed again, you know, after the ark, the next time something that large as a ship was constructed was in the early 1800s. I mean, this, this like, you know, it was like the tallest building in the world. This, this, like, was the biggest thing ever built for a long, long time. Okay? I mean, I, I kind of wrote this because I thought this was literally a project of biblical proportions. You know, I mean, this actually qualifies as something of biblical proportions. Okay. But because we're trying to talk about what it takes to be that agent of faith, just think with me for a moment. I have a question for you. But really, what do you think Noah's life was like on a daily basis while he was building the ark? Stressful. Stressful. What else? Sorry? Tedious. Difficult. Walking with God. Working up a sweat. Yeah, do you think Noah might have ever felt, even, you know, he was still human too. Think he might have ever felt discouraged or maybe felt like, I would, I would like to go to have a picnic today and, you know, okay. I mean, do you ever think, think of that size, okay, handful of people working on it. I mean, really, all we could say for sure is four. We don't know about the women, but, I mean, Noah had three sons. And apparently, if, I mean, if you were the neighbors who Noah had been preaching to and you were absolutely rejecting that about what was going to happen, the coming judgment, why would you give up your Saturday to come help build an ark? Right? So, I mean, we re- I, mean I don't know, but you really, the only ones we can really figure, it was four guys, Noah and his three sons. So, I mean, they could work all day, and on a, something that large, you could get to the end of the day and feel like you didn't have a lot to show from it. You get like one beam in place. You get like one, you know, I mean, this, this was long, hard work and certainly without any encouragement from neighbors or friends, okay? And yet, Genesis 6, uh, 22 said, Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. 
by the way, the arcs ratio, ratio of length to width to height that I gave you, those ratios are still used in shipbuilding today. Okay? Because it has been learned over time that that ratio provides the most stability in rough water. You're not top-heavy. You're not, okay? That it is an optimal ratio for stability in rough water. So, let's just think about this. If God had said, Noah, build the ark, and Noah said, yes, sir, I will, and he gave him all the dimensions, and Noah faithfully had begun building the ark. Good job, Noah, right? But somewhere along the line, he had said, it's, we're having a harder time finding big enough trees, so let's make it a little shorter. Let's make it a little narrower. No, because, because hey, it's still a boat. Right? It's still a boat. It's still real big. Okay? It would have most likely sunk because of the, the, the ratio for optimal stability would have not been followed. And remember that once the floodwaters came, the only human beings left for the earth were on that ship. And if Noah had built it, but built it a different way, not followed God completely, you and I wouldn't be here. Aren't you glad Noah was obedient? Aren't you glad he trusted God unconditionally? Listen, Noah had no way of knowing that God was such a skilled nautical engineer. In fact, there were a lot of things Noah didn't know how to do. Like, by the way, when God said, hey, uh, get a male and female of every animal on the boat, Noah didn't know how to get all those people. How do you get all those animals to come willingly, peacefully? How, how do you go around and call them? I mean, how do you do it? You know what? Noah didn't know how to do it, but here's the good news. God did. And it tells us in Scripture that they came. I can't get my dog to come sometimes. Now, do you understand? I mean, that, let's not gloss over the task of all the two of all these animals to come. And God just called them, and they came. And ha wouldn't that have been an amazing sight for Noah and his wife and his kids to be standing there kind of going like, come on in, come on in. I mean, that, that alone, much less building the ark, just getting the animals to come and be, I mean, it's really, really crazy. Listen, here's the thing for you and me. Noah's job description, his job description didn't require experience in shipbuilding or animal management, did it? His job description was walk daily with God and trust God unconditionally. Finally, if we're going to live like Noah as an agent of faith, here's the other thing, is obey God completely. Completely. God's agents of faith are people who are willing to do things God's way no matter uh, what and all the way to the end of the project. They don't quit. They don't waver. They don't modify. They don't modify. They just obey God completely until the job is done. Here's the thing. We see Noah as this man of faith because he built the ark and saved mankind. Right? I mean, for us, that's great. Truth is this. Noah couldn't even save himself from the flood. 
Okay? Remember, God had to tell him, if you go read more in Genesis, those next chapters, God had to tell him when to get on the boat. And then once him and the animals and everybody were on the boat, apparently the door that God had to make on the side was too big and too heavy that Noah and his sons could have closed it. So what does the scripture say? In Genesis, uh, uh, where am I here? Uh, oh yeah, here we go. Uh, and, and on Genesis 7, 13 to 16, it says, on that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three children, entered the ark. They had with them every kind of wild animal, according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them, they came to Noah, they came to Noah, and they entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. And it says, then the Lord shut him in. Lord shut the door. Now the good thing about when the Lord shuts the door, it won't leak. It won't leak. It won't come off. Okay? Look, oftentimes in our own lives, we get ourselves in trouble by ignoring God's word, thinking we know better. Or we start out following God's path, but somewhere along the way, we make some modifications. God's agents of faith are men and women who walk daily with him, they trust him unconditionally, and they obey him completely all the way to the end. Will you guys stand with me as we get ready to close? So, heads bowed, eyes closed, just nobody looking around. So today, uh, if, if you're ready to commit yourself uh, in every area of your life, uh, you know, being willing to obey God completely when he tells you what to do, you know, even if there's a cost, because sometimes going it alone is hard, okay? So even if there's a cost, even if you're criticized and ridiculed, and you're willing to obey God completely, let's raise our, just raise your hand. Say, yeah, Lord, I want that to be me. Amen. Amen. Lord, today, we want to be your agents of faith, Lord. We want to be people, Lord, who walk with you daily, Lord, who trust you and obey you completely, and we stick with it, Lord, till the end. God, we want to be people that you can call on. Even if, it, if the world would say, you don't look like a very good candidate, because it looks like there's someone bigger, better, smarter, whatever, than you are. But, Lord, we just want to be qualified because of your empowering and what you will do through us. Because we can do all things through Christ, who gives us strength. So, Lord, today, you've seen our hands. And, Lord, I just pray now that you would show us, lead us to the things that, Lord, you have created for us to do and that we would follow them all the way to the end. In Jesus' name. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen.